as we continue to study Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, this morning we're looking at verses 8 through 14. If you're maybe you're unfamiliar with the location of Ephesians, you can find it on page 1159 in the Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, looking at verses 8 to 14. Many of you may have heard this week about a uh, tragedy here in our church. Maybe you saw in the news, uh, two teens were killed in Norwell in a car accident, and both of them are uh, part of our church family. And there was a third teen from our church family who was in that car accident, and, and uh, thank God uh, he spared her life, and she survived. But uh, So th- this was a tough week here at South Shore Baptist. Uh, the two teens who died were uh, Kristen Carrier and... Uh, Janelle Desmond, and both of them were killed on, uh, I believe it was Wednesday night. So uh, we uh, are grieving that as a church family. Um, Kristen Carrier, I believe her funeral is today in, at First Baptist Church in Weymouth, and Nicole's, uh, or sorry, um, Janelle's uh, funeral is going to be here uh, on Tuesday at 10 o'clock. So uh, we just need to be in prayer for the families. I mean, this is obviously every parent's worst nightmare. This is the kind of thing where even as a Christian, you say, God, I do not understand this. I do not understand his ways at these times. But we trust him by faith. Uh, please be praying for Peter and Linda Close. They're, they're in our church. They're part of our church family, and they were the legal guardians of Janelle Desmond, and they're very, obviously, deeply grieved. Many of you knew Janelle, and so uh, we need to be praying for that family. And uh, we need to be praying for, for the, the funeral on Tuesday. Pray for our youth pastor, Rich, as he's going to be bringing the message and do, taking care of leading that funeral for uh, Janelle, so that's going to be a very difficult time for him as well, so just be in prayer uh, as we in silence trust in God and and hold on to what we know of him. Don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light, so we hold on to God by faith in these dark times. So maybe before we uh, look into the word this morning, we should just have a word of prayer. Lord, we lift up to you this morning our lives. And Lord, we are sobered by this this tragedy. We recognize once again, O Lord, that our days are in your hands, that it is you who determines the day of our birth and you who determines the day of our death, that, Lord, we are not sovereign over our lives. You are, and you are the one who, who calls us home when you will. Lord, we have to confess we do not understand your timing on this one. We do not understand your ways in this. But God, like Job, we say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Lord, we just call out to you in faith. We cry out to you, even in the midst of confusion, and ask God that you might show us your faithfulness. We've known your goodness to us in the past, and so, Lord, we're not going to doubt your goodness now in a difficult situation that's impossible to comprehend from our perspective. Lord, we pray, let your spirit be especially present with Peter and Linda and their family as they grieve the loss of Janelle. Lord, let your love surround them as we've just been singing this morning. In the midst of this thing that that makes no sense intellectually, I pray that they might find a supernatural strength, joy, and support through your spirit and through your church. God, we pray for Rich Chamberlain, our youth pastor, as he does this funeral. Uh, Lord, we pray, give him the words, give him the the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for many teens who are going to be present as Rich shares the simple gospel with them that they might hear and believe and be saved. And God, we, uh, we even pray for this young man who was driving the car, who uh, crashed the car, who, who killed these two women. God, we pray for this young man that he might, in this dark moment, 
from this terrible, sinful decision he's made. Lord, in this dark moment, we pray that he might find the forgiveness and grace of Christ and that he might be saved through this. And so, Lord, we just turn this whole incident over to you. And we thank you that you are God, and in these times, this is where faith really counts. And so, God, we just trust in you by faith, not by sight. And we pray that you'd be with us. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray that you might speak to us, that you might strengthen us through your word. We believe that you're the living God, and so we come now in this difficult time to stand upon the rock itself, Jesus Christ and his word. We pray this in his name. Amen. Our text is Ephesians chapter 5. We're looking at verses 8 through 14. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Last week we studied that first sentence, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We used to be darkness, but now we're light. Christianity is a miracle. To become a Christian, it takes a miracle. To become a Christian, it takes a supernatural act of God in which he transforms us at the very fundamental level of our being. At, at, our, at the spiritual level, God changes us from darkness into light. Christianity is not just about attending a new church or uh, engaging in some religious ritual or, or, or sacrament, nor is Christianity about wearing a cross necklace or something like that. Christianity is about having your life changed by the power of God so that you go from darkness into light. That's why he says in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's what we studied last week. Well, now what I want to do this Sunday is look at the next few verses and see the practical application or the implication that comes as a result of being transformed by God's power. What, what does that mean, practically speaking, for our day-to-day -day lives? And I notice that it means several things. The first one is there in verse 8. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. So we are light, therefore, live as children of the light. Do you see the logic of it? You are light, so live like it. You are the saints, so live like the saints. You are the children of God, so live like the children of God. We've talked about this before, but this is the Remember this indicative imperative pattern in Paul? We talked about this about a couple months ago. Maybe it's, that's fuzzy. In, anyway, it's, it's this, this way that Paul tends to argue when he talks about Christian ethics. He goes from the indicative, the fact, you are the light, to the imperative or the command. Therefore, act like it. Live as children of the light. It's the indicative imperative. And the reason I, I want to just bring that up again is because of our constant tendency as human beings to invert the order. We so often think of Christianity as an imperative followed by an indicative. Try to be good, do your best, keep the rules, don't do this, don't do that, and if you do all that, well, maybe you'll be pleasing to God. And that, it's just natural to think that way. That's the mentality of works. But the order is just the opposite. It's the indicative first. You are the light in the Lord. You have become light. 
followed by the imperative. As a result, live that way. Live differently. Let's look at our text again. What does it mean to be children of the light? What does it mean to live that way? Paul gets a little more specific in verse 9. He says, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he says, find out what pleases the Lord. To live as a child of the light means that I want to please God. That's the essence of it. It's obedience. I want to do what makes God happy. I want to please him. Not so that he'll love me, but because he loves me. The order is all important in this. Because we are children of the light, let us find out what pleases the Lord. Children love to please their parents. Well, little children, anyway. um, Love to please their parents. I have a, I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and a one-year-old and uh, my seven-year-old and my five-year-old they, they love to please me. Uh, I'll come home from work, you know, Daddy's home and they'll run up, Daddy, you got to come down to the basement and see the fort we made. So I'm like, all right, you know. So I go down in the basement and there's this, you know, blanket draped over and it's propped up by a, you know, my son's toy lightsaber and you know it's got things sticking out of it, so I, I sort of crawl into this little fort, and I can only usually get my, my head and shoulders in, it's so small. And they're like showing me, like, and this is the campfire where we cook our food, and these are bombs to blow up the bad guys that come after us, and you know, they have all of these things, their imagination has run wild, and, and everything, you know, and if I push this button, then the, you know, the lights turn on, and they have this whole thing they've imagined, and, and they just want me to be so happy. They, they want, the reason they're showing it to me is they want daddy to go, Oh, this is the coolest fort. What is that? Oh, that's so cool. And you know, the more I get into it, the more they just get charged up. Because they want dad to be pleased with them. Children have an innate desire to, to have their parents pleased with them. And they want to, me to express that pleasure. Or, or I'll tell them, look, it's time to clean up your room, guys. Go in your room. I want to see it spick and span. They, okay, let's go clean our room. Now, I'm told this reaction tapers off, too. <laughs> so I'm enjoying it now. But right now, they're like, okay, we'll clean the room. So they run in, and they're like, cleaning the room. Dad, our room is clean. Do you want to come see it? You know? And so I walk in. Oh, it's beautiful. And then there's you know, a sock on the floor. Oh, you forgot that sock. And they're like, you know. You know, they put the sock away. You know, and they, they just want me to be so pleased with them. Children just thrive on their parents taking pleasure in them. You know what your children want? They want you. This is the great myth in American child raising. Americans, we're so stupid when it comes to child rearing in so many ways, and we think that children want stuff. Children don't want stuff. They don't want toys. They don't want a big house. You want a big house. They don't need it. They just want you. They don't want you to work longer hours to get them more things. They just want you around. Children just want your attention, and they want you to be pleased with them. That's what children crave. They want their parents just, just beaming on them and, and, and praising them. That's what children love to have. And it's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. As children of the Lord, we want to please him. We, we want to experience that pleasure that he has in us. Notice, it's not that my children clean their room and build a fort in hopes that I'll become their father and love them. They already know I'm their father. They already know that I love them. What they want is to experience my love. They want to experience a manifestation of my, my affections toward them. And so it's the same way with us and the Lord. We are his by faith. We have been saved. There's nothing you can do to become a Christian. You can't do enough good works. God must save you through faith in Christ. But once I am his child, 
I then go uh, toward obedience because I want to experience God's pleasure in me. He does love me. He does take pleasure in me. I just want to experience it. And so I live an obedient life in order to have God be pleased with me. Find out what pleases the Lord, it says. Christianity is a miracle. It is a miraculous, supernatural metamorphosis of the soul in which God changes a dead, darkened sinner into a living, enlightened saint. That's what Christianity is. God does it, and it's through faith in Christ. God changes our hearts and turns us into a new person. So, as a result, number one, we should live as children of the light. Be who you are. You are light. Don't hide it. Live it. Be it. And then number two, uh, the second thing we should do, verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Have nothing to do with those old deeds, those old patterns of living. That's done. This is kind of the flip side of the first one. If the positive command is live as children of the light, the negative command is have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. We, we, we should hate sin as Christians. There should be something about the nature of sin and unrighteousness that just turns our stomach. As Christians, we should cultivate a disdain for sin in our lives. We should really, ugh, I don't want to go near that. That's, that's, that's the old ways. It, it should disgust us in a sense. I was um, reading in the Psalms and found this great psalm that expresses this, this Christian impulse to, to thrust sin out of our presence. It's in your sermon notes, if you'll take out your sermon notes for a minute. It's Psalm 101. And in this psalm, King David is talking about his hatred of sin and how as the king, he doesn't want anything to do with sin. And in fact, he's going to punish evildoers for their sin because he's the king. Now, that part about him punishing evildoers doesn't apply to us so much because we're not in a position of authority like he was over Israel. But I think what applies to us in this text is that hatred of sin, that hatred of evil that Christians should have. So if you look at this text, just listen, listen to David's heart and how much he's craving righteousness and holiness, how much he wants to please God. He says, I will sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, will I sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come? I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Nothing vile before my eyes in my house. Nothing vile before my eyes in my life. The deeds of faithless men I will hate. They will not cling to me. The men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him I will put to silence. You now he's speaking as the king. You know, I, I will execute justice. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked of the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. You kind of catch the spirit of that? It's like, I don't want anything to do with anything that's going to displease God. Not in order to, to become his child, but because I am a child of the light already. See, the problem is that the world around us continues to paint sin with virtue's colors. The world around us is constantly trying to dress up sin and wickedness to make it look cool. It, it makes partying look cool and trendy and, and sobriety boring and lame. 
It makes promiscuity seem normal and abstinence seem weird. Uh, I, I had a professor uh, at, at seminary who had a great line, I've never forgotten it. He said, worldliness is anything a particular culture does to make sin look normal and righteousness look strange. That's what worldliness is. Anything a particular culture does to make sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. And the world is always sort of flipping everything upside down, you know, so that God's word seems strange and what is wicked and sinful seems normal and acceptable. And and we see these examples in our culture, and I'm sure you could all rattle off examples of the way this happens around us. But as Christians, we need to have a kind of discernment. We need to be able to see things right side up and to see sin for what it is. We need to see sin for, for the disgustingness it is and the destructiveness that it is. We can't be taken in by the way the world tries to sell things to us, sell morality to us, and sell values to us. Another great quote at the bottom of your sermon notes. This is from Thomas Brooks. He's an old Puritan. You know, I'm kind of mired down in the Puritans. And uh, Brooks, Brooks is talking about the fact that sin is dressed up by the devil, but someday we're going to see sin for what he is, for what it is. He says, Ah, souls, when you shall lie upon a dying bed and stand before a judgment seat, sin shall be unmasked, and its dress and robe shall be taken off, and then it shall appear more vile, filthy, and terrible than hell itself. Then that which appeared most sweet will appear most bitter, and that which appeared most delightful will then appear more dreadful to the soul. And so as Christians, we should not only live to please God, but we should also have kind of a disdain, a a hatred even, a loathing for sin. We we don't want to have anything to do with it. Why? Because we're light. Because we are the children of God. Let's stay away from impurity because we've been purified by Christ. As we said several weeks ago, we are the bride of Christ. We've been rescued out of the cesspool of sin. We've been cleansed by Christ's blood. We've been clothed in his righteousness. So why would we want to go back to the cesspool of sin and stand on the edge and dangle our toes over the edge? This is stupid. We need to stay away from it and keep living the way that God wants us to live. But then notice Paul goes on. Not only are we to live as children of the light, and then number two, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but then number three, rather expose them. We are to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. We are to expose sin. So, like, what does Paul mean by that? Is he saying that we should go around as Christians, like the Christian police? Aha! Sin! You sin. I caught you. Oh, you know, look at you. I saw what you did there. That's a sin. I have my Bible right here. Mm-hmm. You sinned. Busted. You know, like a construction worker at the job site is, like, framing a house. And the guy next to him spills all his nails and swears, and the construction worker is supposed to go, well, you know, you just sinned when you swore right there. I mean, is, is that what Paul is saying? Is that how we're supposed to expose the darkness? Well, I mean, there is a place for Christians speaking out against sin. I mean, there's a time and a place when Christians are called to say a word against sin. But in the context of this passage, Paul has been talking about our behavior, about living a godly life. And I think what he's saying in the context of this passage is that by living a holy and godly life, we will, without saying a word, expose sin for what it is. That just by obeying Christ and following him, your light is going to shine and everyone's going to know it. You won't even have to say a word. Bring a single match into a black, 
dark cave, light the match, and everyone will know the match is lit. You won't have to say anything. It'll be so piercingly bright. It can be one little tiny match in a dark cave as big as this room, but if I were to light that match and hold it up, everybody in the dark cave would know the light is lit. In the same way, you are one person, and some of you go into large, cavernous places where you work, and, and you're just living a Christian life. You're not preaching at people. You're not standing up on your desk, shaking your finger at people. And people know who you are and what you stand for. You don't even have to say a word, because the light shines in the darkness. It exposes it. And some of you have had this experience. Some of you in your neighborhoods, at your schools, people treat you differently because they know you're a Christian. You've never preached at them. You've never tried to whack them over the head with your Bible. You just live your life, and everyone kind of acts differently around you. You come around the corner with a cup of coffee, and everyone's like, shh, shh, shh. Don't tell that joke. They're right here. Look who it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like you never said anything to them. You're just being yourself. You're being a Christian. But that light is so piercing, it exposes the darkness for what it is, and darkness kind of recognizes that the light is in its presence. Uh, this two, about two weeks ago, I had an incredible experience, something I've never experienced before, um, where I saw this, this light piercing the darkness in a dark situation. I, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I got to be in my first um, movie. Yeah, I'm an actor now. So um, <laughs> give autographs after the service if you like. Uh, there's a, there's a lady in the church who uh, has always wanted to get into filmmaking. And, you know, I heard that. And, you know, see, so you say that, oh, if you ever do your movie, you know, I'd love to be in it, ha, ha, ha. And then, like, several months ago, she was like, well, I'm going to do my movie. And I'd like you to be in it. And I was like, oh, okay. So, so I, I played a maitre d' in a restaurant. And uh, <laughs> I even had a speaking line. You want to hear it? All right, here it goes. Right this way, please. I'll do it again. Ready? Ready? Right this way, please. It, it's, it's the wrist. It's all in the wrist. It's, so that, that, that was my big moment. But you know, what was interesting in this whole, I, I could go on all morning just talking about how fascinating it was to see people make a film. I mean, it's a total eye-opening experience. But the thing that really struck me was the spiritual contrast between this Christian woman who loves the Lord and is trying to shine her light in the film industry and the way she conducted herself, in the whole context of the, the film crew and the actors and actresses and all the stagehands. And, and, and this is a dark, dark place. And maybe I'm just cloistered here in the church and I'm sort of out of touch with what you all deal with on a day-to-day -day basis in your workplace. It's probably the case. But, but I was just like, whoa, I cannot believe how dark this is. I mean, the, the language, I mean, let alone the swearing, which was just profuse and everywhere. But, but the the way people flirted with each other, and, and it wasn't just flirting, it was like, it was yucky, you know? The sexual innuendos that people used just freely with each other, everyone would stop and everyone would go out and take a smoke break, and they'd all talk about all the parties they had had all week and how they all got wasted, you know? You just listen, like, do you really live this? Do people live this way? I mean, maybe, again, I've just been locked in the church too long, but <laughs> this is like, it's like, wow. And, and, and the unprofessionalism of some of the people, the in the ingratitude, the lack of graciousness and civility, just the rudeness, the pettiness. I, I was just overwhelmed by the moral darkness of this context. And then in this context was this woman from our church who's just a Christian, and she shone so brightly. She was positive. She was gracious. She was kind. She was encouraging. 
She didn't, you know, get into the gossip and the slander and all the stuff that was just kind of bubbling around her. She, was, she just stood her ground. She never stood up on a chair and preached a sermon at people. She never shook her finger. She just made a movie that was clean. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> she just made a clean little romantic comedy movie, and, and it didn't have any swearing or garbage in it, and it just shone like a light, and everybody knew it. In fact, I, I, you know, the reason I know is because I heard the film crew talking on the sides, and, and they'd be like, oh, this movie is so squeaky clean. You know, there's no swearing. In fact, a couple of the people even were so bothered by how sort of moral this woman was that I heard them conspiring together. They said, let's try to mess up this film. They said, let's try to swear and, you know, get people to swear and say things in the film just to mess it up. I mean, it's like, that's the darkness. The darkness is like, ah, light, light, ugh, I don't like that. And, and you could just see, and again, she didn't have to preach a sermon. She didn't have to wag her finger or beat anyone with the Bible. She just had to be the light. Just be a Christian, and, and the darkness recoils, and it's exposed for what it is. You know, tomorrow morning, some of you are going to go into some dark places. Some of you are going to go to some jobs kind of really dark. Some of you are living in neighborhoods that are very dark. Some of your families are places of darkness. And I just want to tell you, go into those places and be the light. You know? People are listening. You're preaching a sermon with your life every day, and some people are taking notes. People hear it. They see it. And the temptation we have as Christians when we get into these places of darkness is to kind of put a put a lamp over the light. You know, we want to go chameleon and just sort of blend in. I'm just going to blend in. I'm not going to make any waves. I'm not going to let anyone know I'm a Christian. Don't do it. Just let your light shine. And don't apologize to anyone for living a godly life. Don't make excuses for holiness. Don't try to explain away your behavior like, well, you know, I don't know. Just be the light. And don't, don't give a rip about what anyone says. Just let it shine. Let it shine. And as you let your light shine, without being preachy, without being rude, just letting your light shine, I'm telling you, it's going to expose the darkness for what it is, is what's going to happen. And not only will it expose it, but in some cases, it will even transform it. Look at verse 12. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Then here's verse 14. For it is light that makes everything visible. It is light that makes everything visible. Now I have to take uh, exception with the translation here of verse 14. I, I, I love the New International Version, good translation of the Bible, but this verse I'm not really too happy with. It literally says in Greek in verse 14, but everything that becomes visible is light. That's what it literally says in Greek. Everything that becomes visible is light. So it's a tough verse to translate, and I'll sort of grant that. But I think what the verse is saying is that when light fully exposes something and something is totally exposed by the light, it becomes light. In other words, you know, back in verse 8 where it says, you were once darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. We've been transformed from darkness into light. And in the same way, when the light shines through our lives and someone is fully exposed by the light in God's presence, they become the light as well. That, that light not only has an exposing power, it also in some cases has a transforming power. And just as I was transformed from darkness to light, so other people are going to be transformed from darkness to light by my witness. It's, it's not just exposing. In some cases, by God's grace, it's transforming. 
And look at verse 14. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That if anyone will turn to Christ and accept him as Savior, the light will shine, and they will be saved. That's the message. So, so I think given the context of this, I take verse 14 to be really saying that in some cases the light actually transforms the darkness into light. That by living a Christian witness, we not only expose sin for what it is, but some people are going to be drawn to it. Some people are going to be drawn to you. And through your witness of just your life, without saying a word, people are going to come to know the Lord. You know the oft-quoted saying by St. Augustine, uh, share the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. I think that's the idea. We, we, sh we share the gospel through our lives and then speak at the appropriate moments when necessary. It is light that makes everything visible. Really, it's, it's the light. Everything that's made visible becomes light, is the idea. You know, we had a bunch of testimonies here the last couple Sundays. I don't know if you were here the last couple Sundays. We had people standing up here sharing their faith stories about how they became Christians and they're being baptized. And one of the themes that I heard in those testimonies, maybe you heard it too, was how often people said, what first turned me on to Christianity was seeing real Christians living like Christians. That one of the things that first struck me about Christianity was watching people who really followed the Lord, and I saw the difference in their life. And so like moths toward the light, they began to draw closer and closer until they finally became Christians as well. But it was that initial light shining through people like us that first opened people's eyes to Christ. You know? I wonder who was at that film shoot watching the light. I wonder. Obviously, there are some troublemakers there and rabble-rousers, but uh, you know, I, I wonder if there's some other people on the sidelines who are kind of just checking this whole thing out. Who knows? Who knows who sat silently on the side and who knew this Christian lady and who saw the whole thing and, and saw the witness of her life, and who knows how the Lord's going to use that. Some of you are, uh, are going into dark places at work tomorrow, and you know there's some people there who always give you a hard time about your faith. But you know, there may be someone else who's sitting on the side watching you, and you don't even realize they're watching you, but you're preaching a sermon every day with your life, and they're taking notes. And you don't even know it, but your light is shining, and, and they're curious, and they're being drawn toward the light. You don't know who in your neighborhood is just seeing the way that you raise your family, or live your life, or even keep your house up, and it's kind of a witness by the way you conduct yourself. And people say, huh, there's something different there. And rather than being repulsed, there's a few people who are being drawn closer. See, I believe, it's my own little belief, you can contest it if you wish, but I believe when we get to heaven, there's going to be some surprises. That when we finally get into the presence of Christ and we gather with those who are belong to Jesus, there's going to be some surprises. And there's going to be some people there that we had totally written off. We're going, to come, we're going to be at the big celebration in heaven, and we're going to say, what are you doing here? <laughs> I remember you from my office, but you do not belong here. <laughs> the person's going to say, yeah, I didn't belong there, but you know, I saw something different in you. You saw it in me? I, well, I never said anything to you. Yeah, you didn't have to say a word. I saw something different. And that's when God first shone the light to me. And then, you know, this happened and this happened, and ten years later I finally became a Christian. But I want you to know the light first started shining with you. Really? And there's going to be people in heaven that we're going to see that we never would have guessed would have been there, but because God used us to just shine a little bit, he's going to use us and then someone else and then a, a radio program in a church or a track they read or something else until they eventually come to faith in Christ. And he's going to use us as part of that whole witness to bring people to Christ. 
I, I, it's my belief. You know, we'll soon we get there. You know, I'll wager with you, but it won't really matter because we're in heaven. So, um, my own little belief I have. And so God is calling us to live as light. That's what He's calling us to do. God's not asking you to convert anybody, because you can't, and I can't. Conversion is a supernatural thing. Nobody can convert anybody. God's the only one who can change darkness into light. So He's not asking us to go out and convert people. He's just asking us to shine. That's it. And so live your Christian life. Live a life of holiness and godliness. Even if the culture balks at you, live a holy life and do it joyfully. Do it publicly. And do it without apologizing to anyone for anything. Let your light shine before men so that men may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Lord God, we live in a dark world and we confess as your people that we so often capitulate to the values of the world, that we cover up our light, that we try to blend in because we don't want to make waves. But God, we pray that you might convince us this morning of the power of light over darkness. That just as a dark room is pierced by a single match, so even a whole dark world is pierced by a single Christian living a faithful life. Lord, we thank you for the stories of the Old Testament, men like Elijah, who stood up against an entire nation, men like Jeremiah, who stood up against an entire nation that had gone astray, and they maintained a faithful witness, and they, they stood against it by your power. And so, God, I pray that as we go into the office tomorrow, go out in the job site, as we go to the school, back to our families, our neighborhood, wherever it is, Lord, where, where we dwell, I pray that we might maintain that faithful witness that we might be people who live an unashamedly holy life, that we wouldn't apologize or make excuses for our morality, but that we just might love you and keep our focus on you. And I pray, God, that through living a holy life, there might be some who would be saved. There might be some who would see our witness and would be drawn to Christ because they've seen Christ in us. And so, God, use us. We just want to shine for you. We want to be your light. Help us not to capitulate, but to stand firm. We pray this all in the name of Christ, who is the light of the world. Amen.